what she would believe, total annihilation, eternal torment, or total reconciliation. That's the major topic we are considering. And do not forget, the text is Philippians 4 verse 8. And it asks us to think of that which is good, that which is right, that which is of virtue, that which is of truth, that which is of praise. And we should think on those things. And we know that thinking is very important. Has to do with your meditation. And we have been able to admonish ourselves of it. Or upon determine to a large extent the personality and relationship even with people and to people. Amen. Praise the Lord. So today I want to continue and want to look at, uh, if we may use the word, the second major doctrine, which is the doctrine of endless torment. Hallelujah. Um, I just want us to look at one or two things. The fact is, the more I look at people, especially those of us who propagate this endless torment and the rapture, our lifestyle doesn't seem to match with what we believe. Because we want to say something, but we discover that the life we live is completely different from what we say and do. Amen? And so when you begin to preach a doctrine that you don't seem to be involved in, uh, by that I mean the doctrine doesn't seem to have any effect in your life, or you're using it for people, then I will end up thinking that you're doing that either to create fear or to intimidate people to either get something from them or that they might submit to your rulership or authority. And that is a dangerous thing as far as I'm concerned. I don't think you need to preach any doctrine to make people to be afraid or to respect you in any way. I don't think it's relevant because I see most of our ministers, we, the life we live is completely different from what we project. We tell people if we really understand what it means for somebody to be roasting for eternity, even you who is supposed to be preaching such a doctrine must be afraid of your life every moment. Man, or the majority of people, when I consider what ministers are doing, I think we are not even afraid of eternal torment. We are not, though we preach it. Amen. Are you understanding what I'm talking about? We are not. Check our members, check our fellowship, check our lifestyle. Everything that will qualify us for eternal torment is what we're doing. It's what we are doing. It means we do not truly really believe what we are preaching or we preaching it to intimidate our hearers to cause them to be afraid so that they can do certain things for us that is my conclusion about it as I keep on looking at uh, majority of us ministers Amen praise the living God now uh, sometimes when you begin to look at this kind of uh, thing like this you also begin to wonder whether you should go along with it or not. I would like us to read something first of all in the book of Exodus chapter 23 verse 2. Exodus 23 and verse 2. Uh, there is something interesting there for me to consider before we progress. I like reading one or two of passages like this so that we can admonish ourselves on a stronger note as to how to conduct ourselves in the midst of God's word. Praise the living God. Amen. 
Exodus 23 verse 2. Are we all there? Yeah. The Bible says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Glory to God. Those of you in the technical, where are the holes of those people in the technical department? Get them out here. One man alone should be there. Come out here. Praise the Lord. Now in Exodus 23 verse 2. Are you there with me? Did you listen to what I have just said? Now he said, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do what? Evil. That is a strong law. To me. Now, this is a great law that needs to be observed and be constantly meditated upon. It is important to meditate on a thing like this. Remember, this is a law. God gave this as a law, as a rule. Hallelujah. Okay? It simply proves the fact that truth is not necessarily based on the number of people that believes or carries it in. Did you understand what I said then? Good. The fact that multitude of people believe something doesn't make it truth. It doesn't. Even if 80% of what we call Christianity decide to believe a thing, that doesn't establish it as a fact. It's not. It's not truth. Praise the living God. Do you understand what I said then? Eh? Okay. Thou shalt not follow multitude to do or to commit evil. It means uh, to a large extent, multitude are prone to doing evil. Yes, multitude are prone to doing evil as compared to minority of people. So the fact that something is popular and a large number of persons believes it doesn't make it truth. And it's good we observe that. So that you don't measure what you want to believe by the number of people that believe it. Hallelujah. Now, again we say, what I mean is the fact that majority of people believe a particular doctrine does not prove the fact or make that doctrine to be truth. Therefore, we should not base our conviction on the number of people that are proclaiming a thing, but rather on the revealed word of God and the intent and purpose of God for humanity. Hallelujah. Did you understand what I said? Eh? We, should, we should, no matter how many people are believing a thing, no matter how large the number of people believe in a particular thing, that is not enough reason for us to say, well, this thing is truth. So we've got to believe it. I remember some time a very, very popular minister of God in this country and across the, the globe as well was making a statement. I think it's in regard to, um, I think, the birth of Jesus or Christmas or something. And he said, well, it is not true that uh, we don't argue the fact that Jesus was not born on the 25th of December. But if the whole world has agreed 
that it is 25th of December, then we should take it so that it is 25th of December because the whole world agreed. But the Bible said the whole world lied on the wickedness. So if the whole world are the people that they come in 25th, then it's the spirit of wickedness that gave us 25th. Is that not what the Bible says? Yes. He said the whole world lied on the wickedness. So you don't have to base what you do on what the whole world is doing. You are in error. Base your conviction on God's word. Base your conviction on the revealed truth of God's word. His plan, his purposes, his desire for humanity. Base your convictions on that. Praise the living God. Amen. So, I, I want us to meditate on this, and it's a serious thing as far as I'm concerned. Now, there's a particular story in the book of Second Kings chapter 22. You know, there was this time that Ahab wanted to go to war with Jehoshaphat. Amen. To fight against the people of Ramogiliad. And Jehoshaphat requested that people should come and prophesy and to find out from God whether they'll be able to succeed in the war. You remember this story very well. There were 400 prophets. About 400 prophets came and said, Hey, oh king, you are going to win the war. Just go ahead. And remember the Bible says, there was a kind of court that was set up in heavens. An angel of God said, I'm going to go and confuse these people so that Ahab would go to war and die. Can you remember this story? Okay. About 400 prophets came and said, God said, go and you're going to win. And Jehovah said, is that all the prophet you have in the land? And then Micaiah was invited. And when Micaiah came, he spoke contrary. And said, so you have, you, what if our people even told him, said, when you go say the same thing, because everybody have already said that this man is going to win the war. So do not say anything contrary. In other words, join the majority. But that was the man that used to stand his ground. He stood his ground and said, no, I'm going to say only what God will give to me. Praise the living of somebody. And what was the outcome? It was one against 400. That was a good match. You know, a football match where you have 400 people against one man. He was, old, he was one, the goalkeeper forward everywhere. One man show, and he won. Why? Because one with God is what? Majority. So it's not the issue of the people that are believing the thing. It's the issue of what is God saying about this thing. What is God's mind about this thing? That is what is important. Praise the living God. Okay. So looking at that story, we find that the fact that about 400 prophets spoke in favor of Ahab, going against Ramon Gilead in victory, as opposed to one prophet, Micaiah, who spoke in a contrary voice of the defeat of Ahab, did not prove the fact that, I mean, prove that contrary. Therefore, the true majority is the one that is united with God, who knows and hears God's word for the now. So, no matter how popular a doctrine is, 
and the majority of people that believe it, no, it's no indication that it is true. And so, and so that should not be the determining factor for either believing or rejecting a thing. Because few believe something else does not make it what? Error. That few people believe a thing is no indication that that thing is what? An error. So, now listen to this. You say, well, Pastor, everybody is not believing what you are talking about. Just few people. It, they found it. I remember something. Somebody spoke to me sometime like that in the office one day. He came in and he said, he was reading one of these materials. Our resurrection hope is not rapture. And he came out and said, I, I, in fact, we were just talking and I, he kind of word of wisdom came out of me and said, after today you are not leaving this place. Again. And then the person smiled. I said, why did you smile? He said, I've already made up my mind to stop coming to fellowship in this place because I discovered that everything I'm reading is contrary to what popular means to have God's are saying. So I was just beginning to wonder, how can you be alone as compared to all these people saying what they are saying? Now the fact I'm alone or somebody is alone is saying something doesn't mean that the thing is an error. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Because the law is saying, do not follow multitude to do evil. As a matter of fact, the number of persons that followed Jesus Christ was one third of those who opposed him. Praise the living of somebody. But yeah, they had the truth. The people had the truth. But they were in a minority. God is always working with the minority. Anytime popular opinion comes into play, God is put aside. And that is what makes Saul to become the kind of king that he was because he entered into the throne on a popular vote. I'm sure you know that. People say, man, say, give us a king like other nations to rule us. We want a king like other nations. And even when they went to war, the Bible says, Saul was saying, well, I never wanted to do that, but the people say, wish you. He was being ruled by people, not by God. So that is the issue and the implication of popular opinion as far as God's word is concerned. Now, we are not going to be working by popular opinion. We just want to live our life based on what God reveals. Praise the living of somebody. Amen. Yesterday I got a phone call and somebody said, aren't you coming to Lagos? So what's happening in Lagos? So well, such such a man is celebrating a birthday. That's crazy. Amen. What's special about that? Why do you want to make birthday another doctrine? And very soon it's becoming a doctrine. Hmm? Yes. The only way for you to feel you want to honor a man of God is to organize a body for him or something like that. Rubbish. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. May God help us. The doctrine of eternal torment. What is it? This the doctrine says that. All those who refuse to repent and believe the Lord, are you there with me? 
those who refuse to repent and believe the Lord will be judged and afterwards imprisoned in Hades or Gehenna for endless torture. Amen. In other words, if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been in the grave, you spend some time there, you come into the resurrection, and you stand before the court of God, and you'll be judged. And if you still find one thing without repentance, you'll be imprisoned. For eternity and tormented forever and ever. I got some impression of some artistic work of the centuries past. Maybe next Wednesday I'll just let you see some pictures of how people are roosting in hell. It's a wonderful picture. When you look at it, you must believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you will not like to be there. And I think we need to paste such pictures all over the world. Hallelujah. Beautiful scenery. Okay, so that is the doctrine of eternal torment. All those who will never want to accept the Lord Jesus Christ and no one to repent from their sins, go right into hell. You're going to be there forever and ever. Tortured, roasted, turn around. I mean, we've seen Suya. When you have someone roast Suya. Turn it this way, turn it this way. Make sure it is properly roasted. But the only terrible thing about this one, these people are never burnt, but just keep getting roasted. Beautiful scenery. Okay. Now it can be observed that in order to prove a point or fight against the doctrine of endless torment, that perhaps the doctrine of total annihilation of the wicked came. I'm only trying to observe this. It is possible. That some people say, now I don't think God is going to destroy people like that. Just keep on keeping people, you know, roasting them all for eternity. God just keep coming back, observe them, see these people turn around, go back to heaven, come back to hell, look at them, and go back. Huh? Somebody say, no, that cannot be. I think what God is going to do, He will just totally annihilate the people. Just wipe them out, burn them out once and for all, put them into the realm of the arches, which we've discussed before. Can you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm sure it's like uh, the need to fight against this that the annihilation doctrine came up because they don't seem to accept this the way this bribing propagated this doctrine. Okay. Now to them, they could not imagine a just and a loving father eternally tormenting his children or people. Amen. Praise the Lord. Tormenting his children or people. Um, rather, they could just be annihilated. On the other hand, the eternal torment factor feels the annihilationist could not be right because every wicked act and refusal to follow Christ must attract eternal punishment for God to prove he is just and righteous who has sin eternally and the carriers thereof. 
if you understand what I'm trying to say. Uh, it's like two people are trying to argue. Somebody said, we don't see God to be too wicked. That he will continue to be tormenting his people forever and ever and ever. He will just destroy them once and for all. And these people say, no, that must not be. God will not do that. If God will do that, it's like he has given excuses for people to see. So, the best thing to prove to these people that God does not tolerate evil and that any time you choose to repent, he's going to continuously torment you forever and ever. So, it's like a debate. Is anybody understanding me? Who is right? Okay. Let's progress. Among the numerous scriptures used for the propagation of the doctrine of endless torment, as follows. Those we do not intend to give interpretation of these passages here. We want to consider some few passages that uh, uh, the popular teachers of this doctrine uses. I just want us to observe one or two things about them. Are you there with me? Amen. Let's look at Revelation chapter 14. Uh, sure. And 9 to 11. That's a very beautiful one. A very, very, very beautiful one that he used to really teach on the doctrine of internal torment. Doctrine of eternal torment. Now, Revelation 14 um, from verse uh, 11. Okay, let's look at 9 rather. 9 to 11. Hallelujah. Now, let's look at it. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast and his image and receive his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out. For strength into the cup of his indignation, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever received the mark of his name. Uh, there are many things we can examine in this passage, but I will not go to just one because, like I said, we are not yet uh, started dealing with each of these scriptures. We may find time to do that as we progress. Looking at the popular passages that are used for the portraiting of the scripture. Now, but there is something I would like us to observe here. Can anybody notice that in there? Okay, let me point it out to you. We may probably look into this passage, like I said, uh, later, but can we observe this part? The phrase day and night is important to us here. Okay? Now remember, the Bible said they shall be tormented day and night. They have no rest. Day and night. That's a strong and important scripture. Now, turn to Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at verse uh, 14 to 19. Now, this is the account of the creation, you remember. Okay, 14. 
Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night. And let there be for signs and seasons. And let there be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let there be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the later light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now, in the first place, let us understand this. That number one, four is the number of the world. Amen. Praise the Lord. One is God unity. Two is division, male and female. Three is also a tripartite or united one. You think about it, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, spirit, soul, and body. Okay. Four is the number of the world that you have four cardinal points, north, east, west, south, and. If you want to have a balance to be able to overcome the force of gravity, you have to have four tires in your car. So, four is the number of the world. And the world was created on the fourth day. Do you understand this? Are you understanding what I'm talking about? Now, so here we find that the Bible says God created two lights to rule the day and want to rule the night. And these two lights, they are going to be four what? Four seasons and four signs. Okay, let's look at something else. In the book of Genesis again, chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. Are you there in Genesis chapter 8? Let's look at verse uh, 22, which is the last verse of that chapter. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. Are you seeing anything there? It means day and night is directly connected to the world. Amen. Let's look at another scripture. Jeremiah 33. Praise the Lord. Jeremiah 33 and verse uh, 20. That will be okay for us. Let me see. Amen. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there be not be day and night in their seasons, then my covenant may also be broken with David. But what we look at here, God said, there is a covenant that made with day and night, which has to do with what? Seasons. 
which these people are to be tormented. Hello? Huh? Are you beginning to get something? It means we can't find this day and night in eternity. Because it directly connected to the world. Am I making sense to you? Hmm? You can't find this thing in eternity. Because right from Genesis 1, day and night is for seasons and for signs. And in Genesis 8, the Bible tells us precisely, as long as the earth remaineth, Satan and harvest shall not cease, and day and night shall not cease. So where do you find day and night? Not in eternity. But we are talking about tormenting people in eternity. So how do we correlate this? How do we, how do these things come together? How do we now use this Revelation 14 to prove the fact that there has to be an eternal torment in eternity? It means that scripture cannot hold. Praise the living God. It can't stay. One of the popular denominations in this country where I was some time, this is what really kicked me out of that place. Because we were being told this and it just witnessed my spirit and I asked this question. Apart from the issue of day and night, the Bible talks about, you know, the nature of that torment and things like that. So I just ask a question. And because the key word there is that shall be tormented in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, if these people are going to be tormented in the presence of the holy angels, because then they already made us understand that hell is a pit. Okay? So I was confused in my own little understanding. Then I said, Excuse me, uh, Bible teacher, if this is going to be so, how do we reconcile this? It means we are not going to be having fellowship with the Father in heaven. Because I suppose that the holy angels of God could even be the ministers and the servants of God. Amen. So if we are going to be there, they are going to be tormented right there. Even the Lamb himself is Christ. It means Christ will right be in the presence of hell. He's not getting out of there. He's going to be there day and night. So I don't see how there's going to be a relationship that when we get to heaven, we're going to be having sweet fellowship with the Lord when we still have assignment in hell to supervise what is going on there. And they say, hey, you are here to create trouble. I say, no, I just wanted to know. Praise the living God. You understand what I'm trying to say? You see, sometimes we just take every statement that is given to us without consideration. We don't think. If there are people that really don't think at all they are Christians, they don't think at all. They don't use their brain at all. Anything anybody says, try. That is it. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's a serious thing. It's a terrible thing. And I pray God is going to help us so that we can really, really, you know, Get to begin to see more light whenever we are reading. Even in the things that we get to have known before, let's see greater light in them. You see, the light is opening every day. Do you understand?
understand that? The glory is more from glory to glory, from faith to faith. That's what it should be. So it's not as if we, what you know before, there's nothing wrong. That was a level, that was a level of light you had at that time. But there's a need for you to improve on that light. Turn it on. You know, increase the voltage. Let's go up a little higher. Let's get a little brighter in our understanding of scriptures. So, considering all of these passages, we can't find day and night in eternity. The Bible makes me to understand day and night has to do for signs and seasons. Praise the living God. Amen? Are you there? You getting confused? Okay. I know there's a warfare going on. In your mind, could this be true? Why are they just reasoning from the scriptures? Hmm? Okay, let's look at another one. Another popular passage, which is the book of Matthew, chapter 5 and verse 27 to verse 30. That's another beautiful one. Okay, Matthew 5. another beautiful passage 27 to 30 we're going to do more work on this much later anyway in the light of the writings of Mark 27 of the book of Matthew chapter 5 that's another beautiful passage I was reading something last week about this and if you see the way the brother was trying to expand on this thing it's wonderful 27 you have heard that it was said to those of old Am I right? Could that be what I'm looking for? Okay, let's move on to problem. Okay, you should not commit adultery, but I say unto you, whosoever looks at a woman to lust after her already committed adultery with her in her heart. Now verse 27, if your right eye causes you to sin, now note the word right eye, it means your left eye can be excused because you have two eyes, hmm? You see with what do they call this one? Is it bad eye view? Is it, <laughs> and it's a biology or something like that. They call bad eye view. That is everything synchronized. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You know, the bad has its eye this way, hide it like. But when they see, they converge. I think that is what the Bible is trying to tell us here. Because so when your right eye your left eye is not involved now. Hmm? Praise Lord. <laughs> so somebody will have to stay without the right eye. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. And if your right eye causes you to sin, block it out and cast it away from you, for it is more profitable for you than one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell fire. If your right hand and your left hand is also excused, causes you to sin and cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Amen? Now, this is another beautiful passage that he uses. And uh, like I said, we're going to do more work on this. Considering Mark chapter 9, we did the same story, the same passage. When we're going to analyze those things. But 
trying to say. You, how, what do we mean? Right eye. Right hand. So what happens to your left hand? What happens to your right eye? I mean your left eye. It means those part of you doesn't ever cause you to see it. It means it's already right hand and your right eye and your right leg. I think so. Anything right causes you to see it. Your left doesn't come in at all. Hallelujah. Now, let's even think about it again. We're talking about cutting off every part of our members. What are the members? We need to think about this. As we are going to study much later, we'll find out what are these members. But then, let's ask this question. If this is literal, as we have been made to believe, I mean, spirit, I mean physical, that's literal. Okay? That is to say, hell is literal. Now, listen, there's a big difference between hell is real and hell is literal. Do you understand what I say? Maybe you don't know what I mean. Okay. Do you understand that? There's a big difference between heaven is real and heaven is located up. Do you understand that? Okay. Now, hell is real and hell is located down and hell is richer is completely different from simply knowing that there is hell. Praise the living God. Okay. But listen, what we've come to know or believe before now, or we continue to believe in Christianity, is that it's literal. And on the most part, it is located down. Because hell is opposite of heaven. So, if hell is down, heaven must be up. As a matter of fact, in 1989, a paper was circulated and said, I can't remember what the United Kingdom was said, that a geologist, in the process of um, you know, doing their geological work, they discover a place and there were so many voices and that must be the central point of hell. 1989, I personally read it. The people were crying from that realm as they were going down and getting to the rock, going beyond the rock. We hearing voices and they're very convinced and they use their addition to test and the sound really proved that people were being roasted. I read that, 1989. Praise the living God. Okay? That's beautiful. Why? Because hell is down. Heaven is up. Now, hell is down. It's literal and there is fire all the way. Now, the point is this. If hell is down, agree, no problem. The condition for escaping hell is for you to cut off one of your members. Hallelujah. If hell is literal, those members must also be one literal. The question is, how many people have amputated their right hand because they really want to escape hell? As far as Christianity is concerned, I've never seen one. If I even try that, you are more like a Muslim. Human rights organizations will come against you. Everybody will fight you. 
But you want to escape hell by cutting off your hand, but human rights will not even allow you. Praise the living God. So the point is, somebody was, I once asked somebody this question, I said, no, the hand cannot be literal. Can it? If the hand is not literal, how would the location become literal? Because it's the same passage. It's the same passage, the same verse of scripture. Your right hand, your right eye, is the same passage. What you didn't do to your right hand or your right eye leads you to hell. So, if these two other ones are not literal, how will you bring the bottom line of the same verse to be what? Literal. It's confusing to me. Praise the living God. Like I said, we're going to take time to observe this scripture. We must understand that your right hand and your right eye and the right foot absolutely have nothing to do with literal body members of yours. They have spiritual significance. We may not have time to deal with that. But do not forget this. The Bible simply says they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall do what? Recover. You don't lay hands and lay left hands. You don't see ministers praying for people and, and, and praying with their left hand on people. Have you noticed that? No. When they want to lay hands on people, they would like to hold the microphone on the left and lay their right hand. Why? Because the right hand is a place of power. It's a place from which power is transmitted. And that is why in that Revelation 14, you find that the Bible also tells us they have the mark in their right hand and in their forehead. Not in your left hand. You notice that. It's only talking about the power that exudes from those individuals which is either satanic or godly. Praise the living God. And that is why you discover that when 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 was it Joseph was trying to bless Benjamin, he has to cross his right hand. He was transferring authority over. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? People don't understand you. Anytime just look at the word right hand and they think it's literal. That's not what it means. It speaks of a place of power, dominion, and authority. And anytime you lay your right hand, you are transferring power. So, it is either you are using God's power, which is the right hand of God as well, or you are using satanic power, which is the mark of the beast. That's just what it means. We will deal with that more. Hallelujah. Now, just turn over your paper there and find out where we are. Praise the Lord. So like I said, we shall x-ray this passage more in the light of Mark's writings. But again, we must also realize that if this scripture was to be taken literal, literally, it simply means no Christian or otherwise can escape hell fire because no yet have literally cut off his or her members. Members, what are they? To be discussed later. Amen? Nobody have done that. Have you ever seen somebody come to church with one eye and they said, hey, brother, what happened to you? You say, no, 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 this I caused me to sin yesterday. And I don't want to, 
and the worst part of it, you cut on this eye today, you don't have any other to cut off tomorrow, and tomorrow you are still going to see. So what will you cut off? You see what I'm saying? You see, we are very cheap. I don't know. What really bothers me is that we have a lot of intellectuals that are actually in the body of Christ, and yet they can't be able to find out some of these little things. So that really tells you that religion is a crazy thing. It can reduce your level, no matter how highly placed you are. Whether you are a barrister, 12, 12 times 2 times 2, doesn't make anything to the scriptures. I mean, when it comes to religion, you can still be fooled. Praise the living God. But you see, when they go to bar, they can be able to defend and excuse people. Whether they be criminals or not. But come and read this Bible now. Somebody tells you, pluck off your eye. We say, yeah, it is true. And yet you can pluck off your eye. Just to find out what your eye is, it's difficult for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the bottom line, so we discuss this much later, talking about the members. Yes. Okay, let's look at another scripture. And this one is equally very exciting. Another scripture that they use. I'm only trying to let you see this. Some of you who have Actually, so many of us who have been believing this, I know these scriptures are very popular. You should be able to know them, and I'm sure you have also used them too to preach. Amen? Okay. Revelation 21, and uh, what verse are we looking at there? Verse 8. It's about the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brings on which is the second death. I want you to check the categories of these people. The cowardly people. The liars. The sexual perverts. The Bible said that you have to park in this lake of fire. You know the lake of fire is synonymous to hell in the way they teach it. Do you understand this? Okay. Can I show you one coward man I've ever discovered on the face of the earth? He's a man that believes the rapture. The only reason he wants to escape is because of the Antichrist. That's cowardice. Glory to God. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. This may be very offending to a lot of people, but God is going to help all of us. We are still brethren. The only reason we want to escape is because of who? The Antichrist. That's cowardice. And, and you know, because God doesn't want us to live with this kind of spirit, He said, The Lord has not given you the spirit of what? Of fear. But of a sound mind. But we are still afraid. All kind of spirits still torment us. We are still afraid of all kind of spirits. And we are thinking we can escape this. Once your life is ruled based on fear, you are already in torment. First John said it. Perfect love casted a word of fear. For fear is a torment. So many of people are already experiencing brimstone, even in their homes. 
because of the spirit of fear. They can't live well. Afraid of cockroaches, lizards, everything. Name it. Fear. And yet somebody is thinking that he can escape the lake of fire when that spirit is inside him. They call this to people and they still live the same thing. Liars, for instance. Liars. Say liars also will be there. Oh. All preachers are very truthful people. They are the only people that will escape this one. Hallelujah. Forgot to realize that once you tell lies to your people, they also become liars. You give them information that are not true, they are going to carry those wrong information and they can kill for it. Do you know that? Praise the living God. Liars. So the Bible says the cowardice, those who are cowardly people and those who are liars and those who are sexually perverted, all of these kind of people. Can you ever think about that? I don't know. I got the material today again from the United States. Somebody was writing and making me to understand that the last election they just conducted, if the other man has won, what is happening in other nations now, such as imprisoning somebody for preaching against homosexuality, will have been upheld. Do you understand this? Now, if somebody speaks against homosexuality, are you imprisoning that individual? What are you saying by implication? Are you getting what I'm talking about? But that's a, that's a country we call Christian community. God's own land. God's own country. We are more liars. More liars. I was <laughs> a few days ago, I my wife when we were listening, just about hearing a man preaching. I said, hello, I bred and went into this prosperity thing. If you watch the way they pervert scriptures, oh God, it's crazy. What doesn't even speak about money? They want to bring in money there. Because they don't see another thing about money. Anytime they open the Bible, it's money. Do you know that? Any passage in the Bible, they don't see is money. Even if you see fig tree, it's money. The fig tree was called because it couldn't produce money. I mean, all kinds of things that just going on. Liars! Left and right. Don't say the Lord when God have not spoken. Liars! Are you talking about somebody that you're going to escape anything called hell? We are all going there. Very ready. Others are just making, they are just thinking they are escaping. They are not escaping. They are all bunch of liars. That's what we are.
just wonderful. There is a need for us to examine some of these things, our belief system, and how we go about them. There is the need. There is the need. Amen. I remember listening to one one of our brothers singing, and he said, they went to church and they were praying. And a brother just came to a lady and said, Hey, sister, the Lord spoke to me as I was praying that you are my wife. Sister said, Yes, even as I was praying, the Lord said, No, you are not the one. <laughs> After all, it's the same God who spoke to you as God to me. Amen. You know, these things are literally happening. We are Christians. Do you understand that? A man of God took a bet one day in a fellowship. Just call a brother and call a sister and they use the bed from his waist and tie their hands together. You are couples. God told me now. And they got into marriage for 10 years. It was hell. Because God never said anything. It was hell. And you know, it was difficult for them to separate because they tied their hand. They have to obey the man of God. We are many people are going there. Very prepared. By the things we practice, the things we believe, everybody we're going there. Hallelujah. Are you following what I'm talking about? Amen. A man of God, I know some time ago, a brother said, have this piece of land. I think this one is not far. Zappa, hmm? behind Prince Center, I can go to the place. Have this piece of land for you. I'm giving it to you as a man of God. Man of God said, thank you very much. Went home after about a week, came back, said the Lord said, out to it. And the man said, so the Lord said, I'll do it. Yes, sir. I have to get another tape and measure another hundred to add to it. The Lord said. Do you understand this? But these are the same people that we rave. All liars, all hypocrites. You go to hell fire. You've just lied. God said out to the land for your own property. It was not God's property. It was not given to him to build a church. It was given to him for his own house. And God said out to it. I can take it to the land. I'm not just speaking and know what I'm talking about. I can take you there. God added. That was God for you. I've been people's land for other people. Are you following what I'm talking about? Liars. If I wear a bunch of it all over. If money is not coming in, you change your message. You say the Lord spoke to me. Hmm? <laughs> Hallelujah. And you know what I'm talking about. Because you have to rake something. It's either you raise or you rake. 
whichever way rake or raise the money whichever way as long as it is God that is speaking after all, how do you determine whether it is God or God has said it Amen Praise the living God God will help us so what am I trying to make us understand it's not enough to believe a thing sometimes we say pastor you don't believe this thing that is not the issue even if I choose to believe it how prepared are we to escape it you don't just be believing a thing that you are not even prepared to escape hallelujah so it is not a question of the man that is shouting it that is the right hand man of God you will shout in it. How prepared are your people to escape that thing you are talking about? How prepared? Tell me how prepared you are. For how to blast you here with the message of hell. You always be crying. You know. You will never, never leave this place any day with smile. Because there is never a time you find yourself righteous escaping it. I always have something to tell you and you will always be convicted in your spirit every day to cry. I don't know if you have what I'm talking about. And I know what I mean. So, the issue is how prepared are we to escape this thing? Even if we choose to believe it the way it is. But anyhow, that is it. I'm only trying to examine some of these things. So we find that those, the liars, they, you know, Warmongers and whatever thing you want to name it, hypocrites from the others, adding land to land like Ahab, you know. You can't escape this. These people are going in there. May we escape by being righteous in the name of Jesus Christ? Okay. Now, the central thing of the doctrine of eternal torment is the issue of hellfire. In the words of one of the strongest proponents of the doctrine of endless torment, <laughs> that reminds me. Uh, there used to be a time before I knew the Lord. We had a sister, very beautiful Christian sister. And um, we were together and I was just listening to the evening news on the VOA. He just came and said, look, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I love you. That's what I'm telling you what I want to tell you. You are going to hell. I said, Sister, what's the problem? <laughs> he said, For listening to this news every day, you are going to hell fire. I said, Sister Caro, that's okay. He said, I'm just telling you it's because I love you. you are, if I have said it, you are going to hell fire. Then I said, but how do you imagine that you yourself you are not going there? He said, have you caught me fornicating any day? Look at the standard of measurements. So it's only fornication that dead here. But the Bible tells liars here. Are you going there? Can't watch me by you going there. Praise the living of somebody. Are you following what I'm talking about? He said, that is the extent people go to. Those who believe in this thing. That is the extent just simple news that I'm listening to. I'm going to hell. <laughs> if, if listening to news will take me there, 
Because I don't imagine myself just listening to news going there and a murderer going there. We can't stay in the same hostel. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, it's wonderful, people of God. I don't know. This is uh, just wonderful. Okay. <laughs> now, so that, that is the central thing. Now, there is a man, a proponent. I didn't just want to mention him. Somebody I know. I just feel like putting it aside. But this is what he said. He said, the Bible plainly teaches that the souls of the wicked dead, their bodies are in the grave at physical death, go into hell, or the underworld of departed spirits, and are in a conscious state of torment by their own sins until they are resurrected, and this is my own, I'm sure they mean a physical coming back of the dead to stand trial where they will be judged, sentenced, and forever imprisoned. So it's a two-way uh, punishment. You are sinning now and you die. Hmm? You go straight there and you start getting torment based on the sins you've committed. Are you following this? Okay. Then your body, your soul, according to their belief now, is lying dormant somewhere until the resurrection where the trumpet sounds. And all of them get out of the grave. And then we move straight and stand before Jesus Christ. Jesus will be there now with a big hammer. The books are open. I want to find out what you've done and what you've not done. Amen? And by the time you finally got convicted... Thank God this time nobody can tear away the pages of the book. Amen. The fact will be proved beyond reasonable doubt. So by the time doubt is done, you are sentenced straight back there. Forever and ever. You are not coming out of that place anymore. Are you getting what I'm talking about? The first time you were able to get resurrection to face judgment, but the second time, no more. Hallelujah. That's beautiful. And I like that. I remember we were having a meeting sometime in Lagos and the man was preaching. The place was roofed with zinc and very low. So the place was hot. And he said, hey man, hell is hotter than this. I wanted to ask, hey brother, have you been there before? <laughs> Hallelujah. So I said, and everything they do, they want to bring it out so that you can know where you are. We thank God for that. But this is the way it is. So you die, your sins get into torment, then you resurrected, face the judgment of Christ. Are you following what I'm saying? All right, and then at the end of the day, you find that you go back there and then no coming out. Now, from the above statement, you can readily see the mindset of all those who believe into this doctrine. But there is something I think we need to observe here. If man will agitate for a fair trial, then of course one should expect him in the court of God. Which can tell us that all man's sentence cannot be the same since all men's sins are not the same. Hello? Did you follow what I'm talking about? Now listen to me again. Get my, picture, my point right. 
Today you find that people are agitating for fair trial. Okay? Everybody, human rights organization, everybody is agitating for fair trial. Now remember, we're going to go in the court, God's own court. Right? Okay. Now everything you do must be proved right. And the convictions must come. I have a way of thinking, and I believe I'm right, that if two of us are already before a chief judge, magistrate or whatever, okay, my case will be proven, suddenly I could be sentenced. You also could be sentenced, but the sentence can never be the same. Depending on the offense that I have committed. Is anybody following me? Okay, I'm going to prove a point right now. Now listen to this. If you killed, for instance, and you stole, it is possible that yours is penalty. Your offense is death. Death penalty. Maybe with an option of fine in terms of assuming it was manslaughter. No manslaughter is not willful killing. Do you understand that? Can you imagine that? There is manslaughter, there is willful killing. Now, if it is manslaughter, you can be sentenced for so many years imprisonment. If it is willful killing, maybe you go into the gallows and have a hanging of a firing squad. But it was murder. It was the same killing. Man's life was involved. But something led to the other one. Is anybody following what I'm saying now? Okay. Now, I'm bringing a point. Now, a good judge should be able to say, you are going for life imprisonment. You are going for death. That's a fair hearing. Do you understand that? Now, if my offense is that of stealing, maybe I pay back what I stole, and then I, <laughs> I go in for maybe two, three years. As the case may be, and depending on the amount of money that I stole. You can't sentence me to death because I steal. Hallelujah. Are you following what I'm trying to bring out now? That is human thinking. Human being knows that just because you stole something doesn't mean you'll be sentenced to death. Even the Sharia people, the best they can do is to cut off your hand, but not to kill you. Are you following what I'm talking about? Good. Now, but here we are painting a picture in our belief that no matter the nature of the offense you commit, everybody is going to the same place. So there's no fair hearing in God's court. Now let me tell you something. I can't be judged for the sins of Adam anymore in my life. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for that. As a Christian, my trial is how faithful am I in what he has asked me to do. That's my trial. And if I fail in what he has asked me to do, I lose my reward. But I don't go to hell. Is anybody follow what I'm talking about? Praise the living God. If you have to go to hell at all, it's not because a price has not been paid. No. That's not true. So, the sins of Adam will have qualified every one of us to go to the same place. But I choose to believe into Christ's sacrifices. And so, I can no longer go to where the sins of Adam will have led me into. Do you understand this? 
So I can be tried as a son. I can be tried as a servant in the house of God. I could lose my reward. I could be saved. That's why in Revelation 20, 22 it tells us, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. Every man according as his work. Not the same thing. So if my reward in terms of benefit is not the same with you, I don't imagine the punishment to be what? To be the same. I may be wrong, you are right. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. Okay, let's see, move on a little bit. So, that is something I think we need to observe as far as the issue of the court of God is concerned. Now, why do we say so? Because we do know that the same judge who sentenced a criminal to the death penalty of either hanging or as the case may be, can as well sentence another criminal to either three or four years imprisonment with an option of fine or both. Is it clear? Yes. Somebody can say you are sentenced to 12 years imprisonment without an option or fine. And the consequence, you are sentenced to 12 years imprisonment with an option of fine of 20,000. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That means if you pay the 20,000, you will no longer go to imprisonment for 20 years. That is even human judgment. But in our case, God has no time for that. You've committed, you've committed. Straight. March forward, march. Everybody. You line up and all of you go to the same hostel over there. Praise the living God. God will help us. This really proves the accuracy of the judge and the judicial fairness. Can we then expect less in the court of God so that all crimes committed will receive the same punishment of endless torment? It's like some people will definitely be denied the place of fair hearing since no matter what offense you commit, your punishment is what? The same, which is endless torment in hellfire and of the same duration. That is, that is another thing. What is the duration here? Eternity. No matter the offense you commit, the punishment is the same, the duration is the same. Oh my, I don't think this is court. If we really mean like they said, we have to appear before the court of God. No good judge will ever sentence the people to equal level of punishment, equal duration of time of punishment. No good judge will ever do that. Praise the living of somebody. Are you understanding what I'm talking about? So what I'm trying to make you understand, Anna, you see, this is like there is some problem in this our belief of eternal torment. It's like there's some problems we are unable to discover. Amen. Now, this I think really calls for wisdom, for the pattern of judgment and the rule of law does not portray the God of all wisdom that we serve. If we look at it from that perspective, it doesn't seem that God is all wise, God. Because the judgment here, from the way we are portraying Him, is not balanced. 
Praise the living God. Amen. I've already been saying it. It's only a bad doctor that prescribes the same drug for different sicknesses. Somebody suffering from fever, another one has HIV. You say go and get Panadol. The other one come tomorrow, you have back aches. Another one have cancer of the Lord, say give him Panadol. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Anytime somebody gets a problem comes to you, what? Panadol. Everybody will just know that you are not a doctor. You are not a qualified doctor. If you are one, you are not a qualified doctor. Hallelujah. Okay. Let's move on. Having considered the view of a believer of endless torment, like we quoted above, let me also quote the view of a proponent of the annihilation theory. And you may have room to think. He says... I consider the concept of hell as torment, outrageous doctrine, a theological and moral anonymity, a bad doctrine of the tradition which needs to be changed. How can Christians possibly project the deity of such cruelty, inflicting everlasting torture upon his creatures, however sinful they may have been? More like Satan than like God, at least by moral standards and by what the gospel. Amen. This somebody with another view say he, he can't see himself fixing himself. But you see, what this man is trying to say here, he, remember, he's only saying this also to defend his own position. Hallelujah. What is our position? He said, God wants to terminate. In other words, he is saying, God will not continue to punish forever and ever. Rather, he will just annihilate. So we find that even whatever position we are standing for, it's all because we want to defend something. Praise the living God, somebody. So I'm just presenting all these views so that you can think for yourself. I'm not giving you any position to stand on. But I want you to think for yourself. Praise the living of somebody. Alright. Now, we could be right. Now, who could be right in these thoughts? What do you picture in all of this? Can we confidently say the scriptures used for the doctrine of eternal torment are actually so? What is the origin of this doctrine? Was it thought by the pagan world before Judaism came into existence? Did Moses teach this particular doctrine to Israel? If not, why? It's going to interest you to know from a usage I say it here that Moses never taught anything about hell. Take your time to read the five book of Moses from Genesis down. You're going to find out he never taught anything about hell. Why? I'll prove it to you. Take your time to study the writings of St. Paul. You find that he never taught anything about hell. Why? Because you must understand that St. Paul was asked to minister by the Lord to the Gentiles, but he never taught them anything about hell. It means St. Paul was very wicked. Because this kind of terrible thing is there and you don't let the people know to escape it, it means he never did a complete job. But this is a man that said, I fulfilled my calling. I've completed my work. 
So why did he why did he why did he decide deliberately to escape or to stop teaching people about this? Why will Moses not warn Israel about the danger of hell in his writings? Go and read. The Bible simply tells us any man that sins, he must be stoned to death. There was nothing else Moses added to it. The wages of sin is death, according to St. Paul. Nothing else is added to it. Read the Bible. So, we are going to continue to discover why Moses didn't say so, why Paul himself didn't say so. Are you understanding what I'm talking about? And then we'll progress to the place where at the end of the day we'll be able to draw a conclusion for ourselves. As to whether this thing is real or not, as to whether in what form she will really believe it or accept it. Are you there with me? Praise the living God. Somebody said, Pastor, are you excusing her from punishment when we sin? I have not said so. The wages of sin. It's an inflation inflation does not affect that thing. Death is still death. The wages of sin is death. Whichever way, spiritual and physical, death is death. That's the wages of sin. So I'm not saying go and sin. I'm not telling you so. Praise the living God. If you try, you will pay the price. Amen? Life, you will pay it. You will really get into a very cool place called hell. You get there. Do you understand that? Okay, but not the type that is being propagated, not the gasoline type. Can somebody help me over there while we pray? Please, those of you outside, help me meanwhile. Praise the living God. Let's finish. Let's stand up and talk to the Father very quickly. I just wanted to pray. This time I wanted to pray with an understanding. If there be anything in your heart that had come to the place of confusion, even about the things we're going to be discussing, let God give you an understanding, an enlightenment. Let God give you an enlightenment. Let God give you spirit of wisdom and understanding. May your heart be properly open into the things that we're about to do and about to discuss. Begin to pray. So that even if you believe in fear in any manner, that the Lord Himself will cause you to come out of them. Even if you're living in fear, remember, don't forget there is just punishment for everything committed. Talk specifically now to the spirit of fear. Jesus meant something when he said, if your right hand, if your right leg, if your right eye causes you to see. He meant business. He wasn't joking. There is a punishment for allowing your members to be used wrongly. There is punishment for allowing your members to be used wrongly. So begin to speak to your members. Begin to talk to your cell system. Begin to talk to every bit of your member. Jesus meant it when he said it. If you allow any part of your members to be used wrongly, you will suffer for it. The peace 
of God will elude you. The joy of God will elude you. You will miss out in the glory and in the presence of the Lord. With no excusing ourselves to live in evil. No. Wickedness must be punished. That is what makes God a balanced God. If God has a right hand to bless, He has a left hand to weep. If He has a right hand to bless us, He has a left hand to weep us. We must escape the punishment of God by living right. The reality of hell cannot be wished away. Remember, we talk about liars. Don't do things that God has not asked you to do, and yet you say it was God. You will pay a price for it, no matter how long it will take. No matter how long it will take, liars, cowardice people. Bible said they will have their part in the lake that burned with fire. And brimstone. As the Lord to help you to escape from all of this. How is our tongue? Is it still full? who cannot tell their Christian fellows anything and they stand by it. They will say one thing, they will be living another life.